0: Welcome back, everybody, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, and now, as promised, Part Two of The Little Mermaid, by Hans Christian Andersen. The Little Mermaid set out from her garden toward the whirlpools that raged in front of the witch's dwelling. She had never gone that way before. No flowers grew there, nor any seaweed. Bare and gray the sands extended to the whirlpools, where like roaring mill wheels, the waters whirled and snatched everything within their reach down to the bottom of the sea. Between these tumultuous whirlpools she had to thread her way to reach the witch's waters, and then for a long stretch the only trail lay through a hot, seething mire which the witch called her peat marsh. Beyond it, her house lay in the middle of a weird forest where all the trees and shrubs were polyps. "'half animal and half plant. "'They looked like hundred-headed snakes growing out of the soil. "'All their branches were long, slimy arms "'with fingers like wriggling worms. "'They squirmed, joint by joint, "'from their roots to their outermost tentacles, "'and whatever they could lay hold of, "'they twined around and never let go. "'The little mermaid was terrified "'and stopped at the edge of the forest.' Her heart thumped with fear, and she nearly turned back. But then she remembered the prince and the souls that men have, and she summoned her courage. She bound her long flowing locks closely about her head so that the polyps could not catch hold of them, folded her arms across her breast, and darted through the water like a fish, in among the slimy polyps that stretched out their writhing arms and fingers to seize her. She saw that every one of them held something that it had caught with its hundreds of little tentacles, and to which it clung as with strong hoops of steel. Even the white bones of men who had perished at sea and sunk to these depths could be seen in the polyp's arms. Ships' rudders and seamen's chests and the skeletons of land animals had also fallen into their clutches. But the most ghastly sight of all was a little mermaid whom they had caught and strangled. She reached a large muddy clearing in the forest where big fat water snakes slithered about showing their foul yellowish bodies. In the middle of this clearing was a house built of bones of shipwrecked men. And there sat the sea witch letting a toad eat out of her mouth just as we might feed sugar to a little canary bird. She called the ugly fat water snakes her little chickabitties and let them crawl and sprawl about on her spongy bosom. "'I know exactly what you want,' said the sea-witch. "'It is very foolish of you, "'but just the same you shall have your way, "'for it will bring you to grief, my proud princess. "'You want to get rid of your fish-tail "'and have two props instead, "'so that you can walk about like a human creature "'and have the young prince fall in love with you "'and win him and an immortal soul besides.' "'At this the witch gave such a loud, cackling laugh that the toad and the snakes were shaken to the ground, where they lay writhing. You are just in time, said the witch. After the sun comes up tomorrow, a whole year would have to go by before I could be of any help to you. I shall compound you a drought, and before sunrise you must swim to the shore with it, seat yourself on dry land, and drink the drought down. Then your tail will divide and shrink until it becomes what people on earth call a pair of legs. But it will hurt. It will feel as if a sharp sword slashed through you. Everyone who sees you will say that you are the most graceful human being they have ever laid eyes on, for you will keep your gliding movement, and no dancer will be able to tread as lightly as you. But every step you take will feel as if you are treading upon knife blades so sharp that "'that blood must flow. "'I'm willing to help you, "'but are you willing to suffer through all this?' "'Yes,' the little mermaid said in a trembling voice "'as she thought of the prince and of gaining a human soul. "'Remember,' said the witch, "'once you have taken a human form, "'you can never be a mermaid again.' you can never come back to the waters to your sisters or to your father's palace. And if you do not win the love of the prince so completely that for your sake he forgets his father and mother, cleaves to you with his every thought and his whole heart, and lets the priest join your hands in marriage, then you will win no immortal soul. If he marries someone else, YOUR HEART WILL BREAK ON THE VERY NEXT MORNING, AND YOU WILL BECOME THE FOAM OF THE SEA. I SHALL TAKE THAT RISK, SAID THE LITTLE MERMAID, BUT SHE TURNED AS PALE AS DEATH. ALSO, YOU WILL HAVE TO PAY ME, SAID THE WITCH, AND IT IS NO TRIFLING PRICE THAT I AM ASKING. YOU HAVE THE SWEETEST VOICE OF ANYONE DOWN HERE AT THE BOTTOM OF THE SEA and while I don't doubt that you would like to captivate the prince with it, you must give this voice to me. I will take the very best thing that you have in return for my sovereign drought. I must pour my own blood in it to make the drink as sharp as a two-edged sword. But if you take my voice, said the little mermaid, what will be left to me? Your lovely form, the witch told her your gliding movements, and your eloquent eyes. With these you can easily enchant a human heart. Well, have you lost your courage? Stick out your little tongue, and I shall cut it off. I'll have my price, and you shall have the potent drought. Go ahead, said the little mermaid. The witch hung her cauldron over the flames to brood the drought. Cleanliness is a good thing she said, as she tied her snakes in a knot and scoured out the pot with them. Then she pricked herself in the chest and let her black blood splash into the cauldron. Steam swirled up from it, in such ghastly shapes that anyone would have been terrified by them. The witch constantly threw new ingredients into the cauldron, and it started to boil with a sound like that of a crocodile shedding tears. When the drought was ready at last, it looked as clear as the purest water. "'There's your drought,' said the witch. "'And she cut off the tongue of the little mermaid, "'who now was dumb and could neither sing nor talk. "'If the polyps should pounce on you "'when you walk back through my wood,' the witch said, "'just spill a drop of this brew upon them, "'and their tentacles will break in a thousand places.' "'But there was no need of that,' "'for the polyps curled up in terror "'as soon as they saw the bright drought. "'It glittered in the little mermaid's hand "'as if it were a shining star. "'So she soon traversed the forest, "'the marsh, "'and the place of raging whirlpools. "'Now she could see her father's palace. "'The lights had been snuffed out "'in the great ballroom, "'and doubtless everyone in the palace was asleep. "'But she dared not go near them "'now that she was stricken dumb "'and was leaving her home forever.' her heart felt as if it would break with grief. She tiptoed into the garden, took one flower from each of her sister's little plots, blew a thousand kisses toward the palace, and then mounted up to the dark blue sea. We'll return to our story right after this message from our sponsors. And now we return to The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. The sun had not yet risen when she saw the prince's palace As she climbed his splendid marble staircase, the moon was shining clear. The little mermaid swallowed the bitter, fiery drought, and it was as if a two-edged sword struck her through her frail body. She swooned away and lay there as if she were dead. When the sun rose over the sea, she awoke and felt a flash of pain, but directly in front of her stood the handsome young prince, gazing at her with his coal black eyes. Lowering her gaze, she saw that her fishtail was gone, and that she had the loveliest pair of white legs any young maid could hope to have, but she was naked, so she clothed herself in her own long hair. The prince asked who she was, and how she came to be there. Her deep blue eyes looked at him tenderly, but very sadly, for she could not speak. Then he took her hand and led her into his palace. Every footstep fell as if she were walking on the blades and points of sharp knives, just as the witch had foretold. But she gladly endured it. She moved as lightly as a bubble as she walked beside the prince. He and all who saw her marveled at the grace of her gliding walk. Once clad in the rich silk and muslin garments that were provided for her, she was the loveliest person in all the palace, though she was dumb and could neither sing nor speak. Beautiful slaves, attired in silks and cloths of gold, came to sing before the prince and his royal parents. One of them sang more sweetly than all the others, and when the prince smiled at her and clapped his hands, the little mermaid felt very unhappy, for she knew that she herself used to sing much more sweetly. Oh, she thought, if he only knew that I parted with my voice forever, so that I could be near him. Graceful slaves now began to dance to the most wonderful music. Then the little mermaid lifted her shapely white arms, rose up on the tips of her toes, and skimmed over the floor. No one had ever danced so well. Each movement set off her body to better and better advantage, and her eyes spoke more directly to the heart than any of the singing slaves could do. She charmed everyone, and especially the prince, who called her his dear little foundling. She danced time and again, though every time she touched the floor, she felt as if she were treading on sharp-edged steel. The prince said he would keep her with him always, and that she was to have a velvet pillow to sleep on outside his door. He had a page's suit made for her, so that she could go with him on horseback. They would ride through the sweet-scented woods where the green boughs brushed her shoulders and where the little birds sang among the fluttering leaves. She climbed up high mountains with the prince and though her tender feet bled so that all could see it, she only laughed and followed him on until they could see the clouds driving far below like a flock of birds in flight to distant lands. At home in the prince's palace while the others slept at night, she would go down the broad marble steps to cool her burning feet in the cold seawater and then she would recall those who lived beneath the sea. One night her sisters came by arm in arm, singing sadly as they breasted the waves. When she held out her hands toward them, they knew who she was and told her how unhappy she had made them all. They came to see her every night after that, and once, far, far out to sea, she saw her old grandmother, who had not been up to the surface in many a year. With her was the sea king with his crown upon his head. They stretched out their hands to her, but they did not venture so near the land as her sisters had. Day after day she became more dear to the prince, who loved her as one would love a good little child, but he never thought of making her his queen. Yet she had to be his wife, or she would never have an immortal soul, and on the morning after his wedding she would turn into foam on the waves. "'Don't you love me best of all?' The little mermaid's eyes seemed to question him, when he took her in his arms and kissed her lovely forehead. "'Yes, you are most dear to me,' said the prince, "'for you have the kindest heart. You love me more than anyone else does, and you look so much like a young girl I once saw, but shall never find again. I was on a ship that was wrecked, and the waves cast me ashore near a holy temple, where many young girls performed the rituals.' The youngest of them found me beside the sea and saved my life. Though I saw her no more than twice, she is the only person in all the world whom I could love. But you are so much like her that you almost replace the memory of her in my heart. She belongs to that holy temple, therefore it is my good fortune that I have you. We shall never part. Alas! "'He doesn't know it was I who saved his life,' the little mermaid thought. "'I carried him over the sea to a garden where the temple stands. "'I hid behind the foam and watched to see if anyone would come. "'I saw the pretty maid he loves better than me.' "'A sigh was the only sign of her deep distress, for a mermaid cannot cry. "'He says that the other maid belongs to the holy temple. "'She will never come out into the world.' so they will never see each other again. It is I who will care for him, love him, and give all my life to him. Now rumors arose that the prince was to wed the beautiful daughter of a neighboring king, and that it was for this reason he was having such a superb ship made ready to sail. The rumor ran that the prince's real interest in visiting the neighboring kingdom was to see the king's daughter, and that he was to travel with a lordly retinue. The little mermaid shook her head and smiled, for she knew the prince's thoughts far better than anyone else did. "'I am forced to make this journey,' he told her. "'I must visit the beautiful princess, for this is my parents' wish. But they would not have me bring her home as my bride against my own will, and I can never love her. She does not resemble the lovely maid in the temple as you do, and if I were to choose a bride, I would sooner choose you.' "'my dear mute foundling "'with those telling eyes of yours. "'And he kissed her on the mouth, "'fingered her long hair, "'and laid his head against her heart, "'so that she came to dream "'of mortal happiness "'and an immortal soul. "'I trust you aren't afraid of the sea, "'my silent child,' he said, "'as they went on board "'the magnificent vessel "'that was to carry them "'to the land of the neighboring king. "'And he told her stories of storms, "'of ships becalmed. Of strange deep-sea fish, and of the wonders the divers have seen, she smiled at such stories. for no one knew about the bottom of the sea as well as she did in the clear moonlight, when everyone except the man at the helm was asleep. She sat on the side of the ship, gazing down to the transparent water, and fancied she could catch glimpses of her father's palace on the topmost tower stood her old grandmother wearing her silver crown and looking up at the keel of the ship to the rushing waves. Then her sisters rose to the surface, looked at her sadly, and wrung their white hands. She smiled and waved, trying to let them know that all went well and that she was happy. But along came the cabin boy, and her sisters dived out of sight so quickly that the boy supposed the flash of white he had seen was merely foam on the sea. Next morning the ship came into the harbor of the neighboring king's glorious city. All the church bells chimed and trumpets were sounded from all the high towers while the soldiers lined up with flying banners and glittering bayonets. Every day had a new festivity as one ball or levee followed another but the princess was still to appear. They said she was being brought up in some faraway sacred temple where she was learning every royal virtue. And finally at last... "'She did arrive. "'The little mermaid was curious to see how beautiful this princess was, "'and she had to grant that a more exquisite figure she had never seen. "'The princess's skin was clear and fair, "'and behind the long dark lashes her deep blue eyes were smiling and devoted. "'It was you!' the prince cried. "'You are the one who saved me when I lay like a dead man beside the sea.' he clasped the blushing bride of his choice in his arms. "'Oh, I am happier than a man should be,' he told his little mermaid. "'My fondest dream, that which I never dared to hope, has come true. You will share in my great joy, for you love me more than anyone does.' The little mermaid kissed his hand and felt that her heart was beginning to break. For the morning after his wedding day, "'would see her dead and turned to watery foam. "'All the church bells rang out, "'and heralds rode through the streets to announce the wedding. "'Upon every altar sweet-scented oils were burned in costly silver lamps. "'The priests swung their censers, "'the bride and the bridegroom joined their hands, "'and the bishop blessed their marriage. "'The little mermaid, clothed in silk and cloth of gold, "'held the bride's train,' but she was deaf to the wedding march and blind to the holy ritual. Her thought turned on her last night upon earth and on all she had lost in this world. That same evening, the bride and the bridegroom went aboard the ship. Cannon thundered and banners waved. On the deck of the ship, a royal pavilion of purple and gold was set up and furnished with luxurious cushions. Here the wedded couple were to sleep on that calm, clear night. The sails swelled in the breeze and the ship glided so lightly that it scarcely seemed to move over the quiet sea. At nightfall, brightly colored lanterns were lighted and the mariners merrily danced on the deck. The little mermaid could not forget the first time she rose from the depths of the sea and looked on at such pomp and happiness. Light as a swallow pursued by his enemies, she joined in the whirling dance. Everyone cheered her, for never had she danced so wonderfully. Her tender feet felt as if they were pierced by daggers, but she did not feel it. Her heart suffered far greater pain. She knew that this was the last evening that she would ever see him, for whom she had forsaken her home and family, for whom she had sacrificed her lovely voice and suffered such constant torment. Well, he knew nothing of all these things. It was the last night that she would breathe the same air with him "'or look upon deep waters "'or the star fields of the blue sky. "'A never-ending night "'without thought and without dreams "'awaited her who had no soul "'and could not get one. "'The merry-making lasted long after midnight, "'and yet she laughed and danced on "'despite the thought of death she carried in her heart. "'The prince kissed his beautiful bride, "'and she toyed with his coal-black hair.' "'Hand in hand, they went to rest in the magnificent pavilion. "'A hush came over the ship. "'Only the helmsman remained on deck "'as the little mermaid leaned her white arms on the bulwarks "'and looked to the east to see the first red hint of daybreak, "'for she knew that the first flash of the sun would strike her dead. "'Then she saw her sisters rise up among the waves. "'They were as pale as she.' "'and there was no sign of their lovely long hair "'that the breezes used to blow. "'It had all been cut off. "'We have given our hair to the witch,' they said, "'so that she would send you help "'and save you from death tonight. "'She gave us a knife. "'Here it is. "'See the sharp blade. "'Before the sun rises, "'you must strike it into the prince's heart, "'and when his warm blood bathes your feet, They will grow together and become a fishtail. Then you will be a mermaid again, able to come back to us in the sea, and live out your three hundred years before you die, and turn into dead salt sea foam. Make haste. He or you must die before sunrise. Our old grandmother is so grief-stricken that her white hair is falling fast, just as ours did under the witch's scissors. Kill the prince, and come back to us. Hurry, hurry. See that red glow in the heavens? In a few minutes the sun will rise and you must die. So saying, they gave a strange deep sigh and sank beneath the waves. The little mermaid parted the purple curtains of the tent and saw the beautiful bride asleep with her head on the prince's breast. The mermaid bent down and kissed his shapely forehead. She looked at the sky, fast reddening for the break of day. She looked at the sharp knife and again turned her eyes toward the prince, who in his sleep murmured the name of his bride. His thoughts were all for her, and the knife-blade trembled in the mermaid's hand. But then she flung it from her, far out over the waves. Where it fell, the waves were red, as if bubbles of blood seethed in the water. With eyes already glazing, she looked once more at the prince, and hurled herself over the bulwarks into the sea, feeling her body dissolve in foam. The sun rose up from the waters. Its beams fell, warm and kindly, upon the chill sea foam, and the little mermaid did not feel the hand of death. In the bright sunlight overhead, she saw hundreds of fair, ethereal beings. They were so transparent that through them she could see the ship's white sails "'and the red clouds in the sky. "'Their voices were sheer music, "'but so spirit-like "'that no human ear could detect the sound, "'just as no eye on earth could see their forms. "'Without wings, "'they floated as light as the air itself. "'The little mermaid discovered "'that she was shaped like them, "'and that she was gradually rising up "'out of the foam. "'Who are you, "'toward whom I rise?' "'she asked, "'and her voice sounded like those above her so spiritual that no music on earth could match it. "'We are the daughters of the air,' they answered. "'A mermaid has no immortal soul, and can never get one unless she wins the love of a human being. Her eternal life must depend upon a power outside herself. The daughters of the air do not have an immortal soul either, but they can earn one by their good deeds. We fly to the south, where the hot poisonous air kills human beings.' unless we bring cool breezes. We carry the scent of flowers through the air, bringing freshness and healing balm wherever we go. When for three hundred years we have tried to do all the good that we can, we're given an immortal soul and a share in mankind's eternal bliss. You, poor little mermaid, have tried with your whole heart to do this too. Your suffering and your loyalty have raised you up into the realm of airy spirits, and now in the course of three hundred years, YOU MAY EARN BY YOUR GOOD DEEDS A SOUL THAT WILL NEVER DIE. THE LITTLE MERMAID LIFTED HER CLEAR BRIGHT EYES TOWARD GOD'S SON, AND FOR THE FIRST TIME HER EYES WERE WET WITH TEARS. ON BOARD THE SHIP ALL WAS astir AND LIVELY AGAIN. SHE SAW THE PRINCE AND HIS FAIR BRIDE IN SEARCH OF HER. THEN THEY GAZED SADLY INTO THE seething FOAM, AS IF THEY KNEW SHE HAD HURLED HERSELF INTO THE WAVES. UNSEEN BY THEM, She kissed the bride's forehead, smiled upon the prince, and rose up with the other daughters of the air to the rose-red clouds that sailed on high. This is the way that we shall rise to the kingdom of God after three hundred years have passed. We may get there even sooner, one spirit whispered. Unseen, we fly into the homes of men, where there are children, and for every day on which we find a good child who pleases his parents and deserves their love, God shortens our days of trial. The child does not know when we float through his room, but when we smile at him in approval, one year is taken from our 300. But if we see a naughty, mischievous child, we must shed tears of sorrow, and each tear adds a day to the time of our trial. Thanks for joining us for this wonderful tale by Hans Christian Andersen, which has quite a different ending than the Disney movie. If you've never heard the original story before, Everybody, stay safe, and we'll be back Sunday night at 8 p.m. with a brand new episode. Until then, everyone stay safe, and we'll be back soon.